0: All right, turn with me to Exodus chapter 13. The title is The Importance of Remembering and Growing. So in our last study, chapters 11 and 12, we are looking at the Passover, the 10th plague that came into the land of Egypt by God to persuade Pharaoh and the people of Egypt to let the enslaved Hebrews go that they might worship the Lord. And he's been completely unwilling to do that through nine different outpourings of God's judgment and plagues and nine liftings of those judgment at his request. And he's been unwilling to let him go. And the Lord has said, on the 10th one, you're going to let my people go. And the 10th plague was that there was a, a, a death plague that came upon the land of all firstborn. Uh, so male, female, uh, among uh, humans, um, out in the livestock and it was felt throughout the land. But for the nation of Israel, he provided a way for them to have salvation. And that was to take a lamb, and they were to sacrifice it and put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and over the lintel. And as the death came over the land of Egypt, where the Lord saw that there was the blood of the lamb, what happened to the death? It passed over. And it's that Passover meal that Jesus celebrated with his disciples when he instituted communion the night before he went to the cross dying on Passover. So pretty significant as we come into chapter 13 it is with this backdrop that we get the instruction. So when they were going when they were leaving he told them that to, they were to sacrifice the lamb. They were to share that meal together. And they were to eat unleavened bread. And they were to not bake any leavened bread, but they were to be prepared to go with haste. So they didn't let, you know, they didn't put yeast in it and wait for it to rise. They just made as much unleavened bread as they possibly could. And they left. And so there's going to be conversation here about that that feast. There's a, a week-long feast that's instituted called the feast of unleavened bread, and in this feast they'll eat no leaven, and they'll take all the leaven out of their homes, and it's a week-long vacation. And so the Lord is going to speak to him to them about this. We're going to have lessons on remembering salvation, lessons on growing in our faith, lessons on being led by the presence of the Lord, and surrendering all to Him. So let's begin at verses one and two, where we see God's claim on the firstborn. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying. Consecrate, set them apart to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Now, we're going to get more information on this in verses 11 through 13. And so we'll come back to the same teaching. But it begins with the Lord just saying, I have uh, spared your firstborn, and now all the firstborn that come in the future. They're all mine. They need to be consecrated and set apart for me, and and this was a way to help them remember as they would give their firstborn up. And there, we'll see that there's a couple of ways in which that happened. Um, even Numbers chapter 15, I think it is. I'll I'll give it to you when we get to it. But there's, you could redeem them with silver. You could redeem if it was a lamb or a goat or um, a cow. You would sacrifice the firstborn if it was a donkey. Um, It was a human. You weren't going to sacrifice them. Donkeys are unclean, so you can't sacrifice that. But you could redeem them. And so this is where the thought is going to go. But I want to focus on that last phrase of verse 2. It is mine. The Lord places things into our life that are his. And of course, as followers of Jesus Christ, all that we have is from him. And so he does not feel out of place. The Lord does not feel uncomfortable speaking to a nation that he redeemed and and, um, allowed to form, be a nation, escape Israel uh, from Egypt. He doesn't mind saying, what you have is mine. And that is is true for us that what we have in Christ, it is from him. And sometimes we can get this other mentality, though, that is kind of like, listen, what's mine is mine. And I'm not going to give it up to anybody. I'm not going to even give it up to God. Why does God need it? Why does God need, you know, a firstborn? Why does God need um, to have, uh, you know, uh, some silver? I mean, is he broke? Is he out of animals? Why is he doing this? It's not part of the reasoning at all. It's not that God is lacking. God's not lacking. God has everything that he has need of. He is self-sufficient. So what is it? It's a way for us to remember what he did. As they gave up that firstborn, really every single day of their existence, because there always was going to be a, a new firstborn to a family, to the, the flocks, to the herds, they, at the temple, there always would have been the redeeming of the firstborn. So it was a way for them to remember um, what had happened and that God had been there at the Passover and had saved them by the, by the blood of the Lamb. Of course, that's all foreshadowing the coming of Jesus, who would give himself. And if it was true for them that um, what they had was the Lord's, how much more with us? And I want you just to think about some things in your life right now. I want you to think about your money. I want you to think about your time. I want you to think about the talents and the gifts, the relationships you have. I want you to think of maybe even the most valuable thing to you is your plans, what you've planned for, what you've invested in, to see it come to pass. And you're working towards that goal. I want to ask you this right now. If the Lord was to ask for that, would you offer it up to him? Now, if your response quietly inside of your head is, well, why does he need it? Then there's probably a pretty good indication you need a little bit of heart surgery today, right? Because he hasn't even asked for it. But just even the hypothetical situation that he may ask for you to change or move or to relinquish it, if it causes you to become that panicked, the question is, why? Why would we become so bothered at surrendering to the Lord some aspect of our life? It Really, it's when we fail to see the goodness of the Lord, it's when we forget how we were redeemed, that we get tight-fisted with Jesus in our life. But when we realize that we have been set free, right? When we realize that we've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, now our... The grip begins to loosen a little bit. It's like, well, Lord, I can trust you. Lord, you gave everything for me. Why would I hold back? And that is the lesson for us. We're going to come back to this thought again in just a moment. But let's continue on. As we move on in verses 3 through 10, he's going to tell them to remember their salvation in two specific ways. First of all, in verses 3 through 7, he's going to tell them to remember nationally and in the Feast of Unleavened Bread that we just talked about, that seven-day feast. Then in verses 8 through 10, he's going to tell them to remember on the family level. So let's go to verses 3 through 7 first. And Moses said to the people, Remember, in this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out, and the month of Abib, Abib shall be, when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. And no leavened bread shall be seen among you. Nor shall leaven be seen among you in your quarters or in your houses. I mean, you're going to take it. You're going to put it in a bag. You're going to take this stuff out. And this is the idea of the spring cleaning that I was talking about. They cleaned their houses to make certain that there was no leaven. Less than cooking, you know, it got, you know, lo- you know, wafted up in the air and was on, on some of the shelves. They cleaned everything out to remove the leaven. We talked about this last week, so I'm not going to go into all the details of that, but I do want to em- emphasize there in verse four, the, the point of remembering, remembering. You might want to do like on a Bible app search or go to Blue Letter Bible and you could do a search there. It's a free online Bible program that you can use and just type in the word remember or remembrance or forget, go the other way and see how many times there is a reference to this in scripture. Of course, one of the last things that Jesus had to say before he went to the cross was what? Do this in remembrance of me. We take communion, we eat of the bread and drink of the cup, remembering the sacrifice of the Lord. On the same feast where he is telling them to remember, he told us that we should remember. Rehearsing the work that God has done on your behalf will keep you devoted in worship and obedience. The Lord wanted them to remember the, the misery, the bondage, the plight that they had been in and how... God had taken them out. When we forget what God has done for us, that's when we begin to be tempted to follow other things. When you forget the greatness of your redemption and your salvation and how God has saved you and how he has saved us, when we lose sight of Jesus on the cross... Making that sacrifice, the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead in human form, bearing in his body my sin, your sin, and is being punished by the Father, when we lose sight of that and we stop remembering, that is when the probability of sin seems okay. But man, when you are walking close with Jesus and that is a repeated theme that's going through your heart and your mind, the the, the thought the response is, well, how could I possibly? Sin against the Lord after all that he has done for me. So worship, prayer, reading the Bible, and fellowship are all spiritual tools that help us remember our salvation. And so why should you come and be a part of worship? Because it reminds us, doesn't it? We sing these songs and it it reminds us of what the Lord has done. Or when we pray, we're thanking the Lord for our salvation Or when we read the Bible. Of course, we're hearing the story afresh. Or when we fellowship. And what is fellowship? It's when two people who are redeemed by the Lord, fellowshipping with the Lord, having communion, conversation, relationship with him. When these come together, these two people, and now they share that common experience with Christ, that has a powerful impact upon our lives. This is why Paul says, whoever wrote Hebrews said, Do not forsake the gathering of together as believers. Right? You can't do that. Some do it, but you're not going to do that because it is beneficial to us to hear of the stories. This is the great thing about hearing somebody's testimony, isn't it? To hear how somebody got saved. And, you know, a new believer that gets saved and they begin to tell the story, it is so good for us all. And we're like, wow, that is, God is on the move. God is doing something beautiful. So allow these tools of worship, prayer, reading the Bible, and fellowship to have that impact upon your life, to bring you to the place where you're remembering. You can never remember your salvation too much, but we certainly can forget it. Now, do we ever really truly forget it as in I have no idea what you're talking about? No, we just allow the chaos and the busyness of life to crowd out those that present knowledge of redemption. And when that is pushed out now, Some other alternative seems reasonable to us. Some other thing to pursue. Something else to worship. Something else to put first. That suddenly seems like, well, maybe that's not a bad way to go. So we must be a people who are remembering. So nationally, they were going to have this feast. And they would gather together and they would celebrate this. And so once a year on that calendar, it would come around. Verses 8 through 10, though, it's not just a national feast. It was supposed to have an impact in the family as well. Let's read together. And you shall tell your son in that day, saying, This is done because of what the Lord did for me. For me. When I came up from Egypt, it shall be as a sign to you on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. So as you are going through the feast of unleavened bread, your kids are like, Why do we always have to clean the house? Why can't we have, you know, a bagel? Why can't we have, you know, donut? Why why is this flat bread all the time? You know, why do we have to eat this? Well, let me tell you, it has to do with how I was saved. It has to do with how God redeemed me. And brought me out. And that was passed down from generation to generation. So it wasn't just a national remembrance, it was a family remembrance. It was an opportunity to communicate the goodness of God. Now remember one of the compromises? Remember four compromises that Pharaoh put to the children of Israel to not leave Egypt? One of them was leave your kids here. And you can go worship. But you can see the priority of the Lord is, no, take your kids with you as you worship the Lord and explain to them what it is that I have done for them. And, and I love that it's, you know, it's in this first person, what he did for me. Now, obviously, uh, other generations could not speak of what he did for them in that generation, but they still were a nation because of it. In that sense, all the you know, uh, generations that would come after that Exodus generation, they could all say he did it for me because we're a nation. And it wasn't just for that generation. But, you know, we can say this as believers, can't we? That God did this for me. And we need to be able to talk to our kids about our salvation. We need to tell them about when we experienced the Lord in our life and how he worked and how he moved. One of the things that our kids, and I'm, I'm sure all kids are like this, But man, our kids, when they were little, they loved tell me a story, daddy, before we went to bed. Now, I don't know how much of that was just to stay up later (laughs) because they knew I would fall for it and how much of it was they really wanted to hear, but it was always tell me a story. And so in our family, we're often rehearsing, I'm sure like yours, of events and things that have taken place. And so, you know, after a while, um, started to run out of like information and I had this thought, and Rebecca had this thought, that we would, we would tell our, our aspects of our life um, like a story to help them kind of bring them into it with the goal of letting them know how we heard the voice of the Lord, how he led us, how he guided us, how he directed us. <clears throat> so um, the way it often would say, well, once upon a time, there was this, there was this boy named Troy, and there's this girl named Rebecca. And they fell in love and they got married. They were following Jesus and they were praying for the Lord to re- lead them to that right person. And one day they met. And, you know, and so we would talk about this. And then we would go on and say, and then right after we got married, three days after they got married, they went overseas to Australia to be missionaries. And when they got there, they walked into their house and there, all the furniture that was there when Troy had left to set up the house was all gone. They had taken it back. There was no couch. There was no bed. There was no nothing. And um, we were like, what are we going to do? And so we prayed. And we said, "And I'll, I'll go through the story and just helping them see those points where God spoke to us and how he led us through difficulties and trials. And, you know, part of it was just a routine of going to bed. And part of it was I want my kids to know that mom and dad are encountering God. Yes, no substitute for scripture. Ever, But to be able to have scripture and then let them know the same God of the scriptures is working in your mom and dad's life. I think it's such a powerful thing. If you are redeemed, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have a story. You have a story to tell. And, And you should look for it, whether it's with your kids or some co-worker, you should tell of how you've been redeemed. And listen, the easiest time in the whole year to talk about redemption is in the Easter season. It it corresponds with the Passover. It corresponds with the the seven day feast. So I mean, this is the time to talk about your redemption story. Look for it, talk about it, and see what the Lord will will do. But you remember on a national level, level, remember as a family. Verses 11 through 16, we see the again, coming back to this theme of the firstborn, but he talks about the redemption of the firstborn this time. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the males shall be the Lord. So he gives a little more information. It's going to be the... You're going to have to redeem the male of the herd and of your family. Um, And then in Numbers 18, I think I said 15, didn't I, before? It's actually Numbers 18, 15 through 18. You can find out that you can even redeem with silver. But here it talks about redeeming with another animal. It says, That shall be set apart to the Lord, all that open the womb. That is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have. The male shall be the Lord's, but every firstborn of a donkey You shall redeem with the lamb because you can't offer a a donkey on uh, sacrifice because that's an unclean animal. So you would have to take a lamb and redeem the donkey with the lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. So you're not going to be able to have the benefit of that if you're not going to redeem it. And all the firstborn of a man among your sons you shall redeem. Obviously, you're not going to offer up your firstborn, but the father will. So they're going through this. All the time. Friend has a, their firstborn. A firstborn, I mean, they dealt with herds and flocks. So they were constantly seeing a firstborn come and having to redeem it with the lamb. Or having to offer up that lamb that was a firstborn. Or having to redeem it with silver, as it talks about in Numbers chapter 18. But the unclean, you can't offer that up. And so are, we, we're unclean, aren't we? And there's the, we can't offer ourselves up to the Lord. We need something to substitute for us. And so it was the firstborn son of God. As Israel was going through this, they were getting into this uh, mindset of redemption. So when Jesus came to redeem mankind, they already had the concept well in their mind. Many times they had bro- uh, gone into their pocketbook and offered up a lamb, went into their pocketbooks, paid silver to redeem. They saw that redemption was costly because it was going to be costly. When the father would send his son, that they would have to reach, that he would have to reach to the most valuable thing that he had, his son, and offer him up that he might be able to redeem us. So this memorial was one that was going to be felt in their pocketbook. So, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, once a year you're going to remember it. And you'll have a chance to talk to your kids. But when it comes to redeeming the firstborn, it's not once a year. You couldn't go to the temple without somebody redeeming a firstborn. Many people redeeming the firstborn. Because they were a blessed people. They were, you know, they were growing in their numbers. Their flocks were blessed. So this was a blessing. But you couldn't escape the redemption of the firstborn. What are you doing? Ah, oh, I have firstborn in the flock. Oh, you're going down to make the offering. Yes, I am. And you know what, my firstborn son, oh, you're going to be at the temple soon, aren't you, making the redemption? Yes, I am. It's the Lord's, and I must redeem that. And so there is this picture of God having and owning because he had redeemed them, and now they should, in turn, give back. 1 Corinthians um, 6, I think verses 19 and 20, talks about how we are the temple of God. And that the Spirit of God dwells within us. And that we have been bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God both in your body and spirit. We are not our own. If you have come to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then you've been bought by the blood of the Lamb. You've been redeemed, and you are not your own. You've been bought with a price, and our end is to glorify God in all we do, in all we think, in all we say. Whatever we endeavor to do with every breath, with every aspect of our life, whether it's in food or drink, do all to the glory of God. Our entire life. Well, why? Because you're redeemed. You're not your own we your dreams should be laid at the altar say Lord this is what I would love to do with my life what is your plan here here's what I think Lord here's what's coming in front of me is this your will here's my family here's my money here's my time here's my talents here's my education here's my house Lord what do you want When is the last time, and when I say that, I don't mean, and I bet you haven't done it in a long time. I'm just wanting you to remember, when is the last time that you said to the Lord, everything I have is yours? Maybe it was this morning. That wouldn't surprise me at all that you said that. But when is the last time you really thoughtfully said, everything I have, Jesus, it is yours? You can take it all. You can take everything I have because I don't have anything apart from you. You redeemed me. And it isn't just the firstborn that's mine. I'm yours. See, for the nation of Israel, there was a firstborn, that, a picture of the firstborn that was come to redeem. But for us in the New Testament, it says that we are his. It's not just my goat. It's not just my lamb. It's everything of myself is his. His. And yet, we can get tight-fisted with Jesus, can't we? No, Lord, I don't want to do that. But I want you to. But I don't want to. I'm not going to do it. I don't have to do that to be saved. You ought to know you saved me. Of course, we don't put it like that. But that's kind of the way we sound. Reluctant to give to the Lord. And yet, we of our own free will have said, I want to be your servant. I want to be your slave. What does it mean to be a slave? It means to carry out the will of another. Lord, I am here for you. I've got only so many years left here on planet earth. And Lord, I want to make them all for you because I am not my own. So when Paul talked about redemption in the New Testament and not being our own, our own and being the Lord's, they, they understood the concepts because they had walked it out every day of their life. Annually, daily, they had this. And I pray that we can come to the place. I, I Listen. It concerns me, and I know it concerns many of you, that we can easily get into this place where we have a Christian way of living that's not even related to Christ. It's like, I can do whatever I want. I'm saved by by grace. Don't tell me what to do. No, you're not your own. You're saved by grace, but you're not your own. The Lord owns you. And it's like when... Uh, the Lord sent the disciples to go into Jerusalem. He says, go and get a donkey. And when they, when they ask, and you're going to get this donkey, and, they, and you ask for that, and they say, what are you doing? He's saying, the Lord has need of it. And so they go to get the donkey. And the guy's like, why are you loosening my donkey? Well, the Lord has need of it. Then take it. But here's the reality. That word should be spoken over our heart and mind all day long. The Lord has need of me. I don't, it's not lifting ourselves up. It's, it's taking that lower spot. If I, The Lord needs me. Maybe he needs me to encourage that person. Maybe he needs me to go and witness to that person. Maybe he needs me to go help that person. Lord, here I am. Send me. Isaiah chapter 6, right? So here's that beautiful picture. Now, in verses 14 through 16, again, you get to teach it to your children. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, what is this? Another you know, you know, lamb going to the temple, you shall say to him, by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore, I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as a front line between your eyes. For by strength of hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt. Hey, the Lord has saved you in a mighty way too. Think about the bondage that we all were in. We all sin. The wages of sin is death, right? We are all separated from God. The consequences for sin is eternal separation from God and a lake of fire that burns forever that's pretty gnarly. That, that's even, you know, that's, I believe that. It's, it's in the scriptures, but you know, I never find it pleasant. That never comes out of my mouth easily. It's not because I doubt it or question it or I'm afraid. I, I'll, I'll, I know what it says, but it never comes out of my mouth easily because it is such a heavy thing. But that's what we were redeemed from. And that's where people need to be redeemed from. So when I think about What Christ did and the bondage, an eternal bondage that he took me out of. How could I possibly get stingy with him in this short little life that I have? I mean, I've got all of eternity now. A life that's amazing waiting for me. That I can't even fully understand how glorious it is and now I'm going to get stingy with the Lord. I've shared this story before, and I'm going to keep sharing it because I just think it illustrates so well. So when we first came and started Calvary Chapel Lynchburg some 27 years ago, it, was a, um, it had to be August because it was so hot. And um, we were from Southern California, so this was a shock to our system. And um, so we were driving around in a, uh, a Toyota Privia, and the air conditioning had gone out. That's basically like you're, you're driving around in an oven. And um, <clears throat> so we are actually coming down Timberlake Road, and we're passing by Taco Bell. I'm like, I want a Pepsi. And so, you know, um, we're looking for money, and, you know, we don't have any. But I know that Tyler, my son, has his, uh, I don't remember if it actually was a Winnie the Pooh, Wallet, but I think it was, and it makes the story better. And he had his little Winnie the Pooh wallet, and he had some dollars that his uh, uh, grandparents, my my mom and dad, had given to them. And so he had them in his wallet. I thought, that's enough for a Pepsi. So I'm I'm driving by, um, and you know, he doesn't have life apart from me. He doesn't eat apart from me. He doesn't wear clothes apart from me. He doesn't sleep in a house apart from me. And I say, Hey, Tyler, um, pass up a couple of those. Dollars, I want to get a Pepsi. What do you think he said? That's right. You've heard it before, huh? It didn't just say no. He followed up with something else. No, it's mine. I'm like, listen, little kid. No, I didn't. I I was thinking it. I'm just like, all right. Now I've got to negotiate with this four-year-old to get some of his money out of the Winnie the Pooh wallet. And I just want to pull over and yank it out of his hand and just say, it's mine now. What are you going to do? I I was successful. I don't know what I had to pay him to get it. I know it was more than his two bucks. I had to offer something else up for it. And um. But that's, I think that's how we sound with the Lord. I think Gabriel's like, look, guys, Winnie the pooh wallet? He won't give the Lord what he's asking for. The Lord asked him to give this to him. And, you know, I had this experience this past week. It doesn't happen all the time, but I was told. I told Rebecca about it. I was out and about. And, you know, I, um, I often will pray for the waiters or waitresses. I say, hey, I'm going to pray for my food in just a moment. How, how can we pray for you? I don't do it often enough, but Rebecca and myself love to do that. Nobody ever says no. They always say yes. And um, so this lady talked about what was there. And I, I just had been um, actually uh, a brother in our fellowship, uh, uh, Jim Meredith, had some money he had been walking around with his wallet, and he found a need and even gave it. And i had been carrying this money around. I thought, I'm going to be led to somebody, and, you know. And I was so happy to give this money that I had to her. Just hey, you know what? Let me pray for that, but you put this money towards it as well. But you know, you can get stingy with the Lord. It's like, no, oh, that's my money. I can. I had plans for that money. And I, and if we can just come to the place where we realize, everything that I have is from the Lord. We will be let up, we will be set free from the bondage of materialism or our own plan or our own schedule, and we'll enjoy life so much more. So if you hear one thing today, you're not your own. The Lord has redeemed you with his firstborn that you might have eternal life. Let's not get greedy with the Lord in hours and dollars and talents and dreams, Let's move on, verses 17 through 18. Um, I'm just calling this section uh, Wilderness 101. Put the map up there. Um, The Lord is going to lead Israel south into the wilderness by the way of the Red Sea. And you can see there, they're going to be heading in a south, mainly south, but they're going to a little southeast direction. But where they need to head is in what? Northeast direction. You can see at the top of this map, that's the Mediterranean Sea. They need to be going up. The, uh, Via Maris. They need to be going up that highway. But there's Philistines that are on that highway. And if they see two million people coming their way, they're going to end up in a war. And so let's read this section. Why would the Lord have them go south rather than north? Let's read. Then it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. That's the northern part. Although that was near, for God said, lest perhaps the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around by way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up in, an orderly, up in orderly ranks out of the land of Egypt. So they need to go into Wilderness 101 training because they're not ready for the trials that they're going to face. They're not ready for the warfare and the attacks that they're going to go through. God is taking them in the exact opposite direction of where they need to go. And maybe you're in that place right now. It's like, Lord, I feel like you said you were taking me northeast, but it really feels like we're going south. Lord, I really thought you were going to do this, but now you have me here. I thought that was going to happen, but this is taking place. And maybe you are considering some of the, these matters in your life. But you know, we all are enrolled in a faith-building journey, and I think it's called Wilderness 101. The Lord takes us to places to teach us lessons because he knows we're not ready for it. 1 Corinthians 10:13 says this: No temptation is overtaking you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you. To be tempted beyond what you're able to bear. Guess what? They're not able to bear the northern route, are they? He says, You you can't handle it. You can't handle that because as soon as war breaks out, you're going to run back to Egypt. So I'm going to take you into the south where I can teach you some lessons. Your faith will grow. When you see me part the Red Sea, when you see me give you manna, when you see me uh, give you water from the, from the rock, when you see me, you know, be a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, your faith is going to grow. And when it's time to take you up into the promised land and fight the Philistines and the Jebusites and the Hivites and all these people, you'll be ready. You're not ready now though, but I still want to get you moving. So we're going to go in the opposite direction. So maybe you have heard from the Lord that you're going to head north, but you're going south. Don't doubt it. God's working in your life. It doesn't always go and turn out the way we think it's going to. And, you know, I think part of the plan is this. I'm going to get them so far out of Egypt and so deep into the wilderness, there's no way they could ever turn back. And the Lord does that. And I've shared candidly with you guys before and this, when we were moving into this building. I mean, it's easy now. I'm sitting here looking in a room full of people. I'm thinking, why didn't we build this bigger? But when we were coming over here and we got into that place where this was, we, you know, the contract was signed and we were about to get it. And I was looking at how everything, I mean, I'm telling you, the, what we thought this was going to cost and what it cost was so much more. I'll give you an example. Imagine going to the elders meeting and having to tell them, hmm, we just found out this is going to cost $250,000 more. Yeah, that's fun. I mean, they're they're men of God, and they're like, okay, well, what happened? Why is this? And it's like, well, you know, we didn't expect for this to be there. We didn't know this was going to happen. And, And so in moments like that, I'm like, I want out. I want out. We shouldn't have done this. But you know what the Lord does? He takes you for, so far down in that walk, you can't retreat. Because he knows that, yeah, if I didn't, if I didn't like lead you on little by little, you would, have, you would have never gone. If I would have shown you and the elders a price tag on this building, you wouldn't have built it. And I've actually asked them since that time. I said, if we would have known what it would have cost at the beginning when we first were considering this place, would have any of you voted to do this? And everybody said, no. So the Lord tricked us all (laughs) and took us south. And it seemed reasonable to us. And then he did a U-turn and took us north. And I'm so glad that he did. But he's doing that with your life too. He's working in your life in the same way. And if you don't have the faith that you need... Guess what? He's not going to throw you into a place where you're going to fail. He's going to go take you into the wilderness and teach you and instruct you. Isn't that that kind of the Lord to do that? I mean, he's sovereign God, almighty God, and yet he's willing to take us with weak little faith and say, I'll help you along. I'll develop you. I'm going to mature you. I'm going to grow you. And that's what the Lord is doing in you. It's what he's done in me, will continue to do in me. So as we think about trusting the Lord and having faith, here's a good verse for us to know. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. It's a great promise. He's going to lead you and he's going to guide you. But sometimes it's going to be south when you think you ought to be heading north. Or here's another one. Psalm 62, verse 8, trust in him at all times. And I put this up here for the all times part of this verse. That's what really stood out to me is all times. Not sometimes, all times. Pour out your heart before him. I mean, if, you're, if you were overwhelmed, just pour your heart out to the Lord. Don't pour it out to your friend. You can do that later. First pour it out to Jesus. Oh, none of my friends were there for me. Man, maybe Jesus made sure they were all busy because you hadn't poured it out to him yet. It's like, no, I want to talk to you first. I promise you that if I was to, had something major go on in my life and I was consistently going and telling somebody else, a friend, before I told my wife, she would be a little jealous. Why aren't you telling me this stuff? She wants to hear it first. She wants to know what's going on in her husband's life. And she has a right to that That place, hey, you're the bride of Christ. Poured out to Jesus. And what does he say? God is a refuge for us. He's gonna protect you. And then we have this one little word, selah, which means hang out here for a minute. Ponder this thought. Put this in your in your thought process. Or how about this one? Jeremiah 10 23. Oh Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It is not in a man who walks to direct his own steps. You might and I might want to write that one down, put it on a three by five card, and make 10 copies and stick it all over everything. Look at that. It is not in man who walks to direct his own steps. I got it figured out. No, you don't. You do not have it figured out. It's not in you to know, it's in us to trust. Verse 19, we'll wrap it up here, it's a couple more thoughts. Verse 19, Joseph is carried out of Egypt. Remember, he has died and the Lord said, you're going to be carried out of this place. And so they, they take the bones of Joseph and the children of Israel carry him around. And for how long do they wander in the wilderness? Forty years. They're carrying him around. And then Acts 7:15 through 16 seems to indicate, and all of his other brothers They carried around their bones for 40 years. They were on dead guy duty, right? Some of you know what I'm talking about. And so they, I mean, but can you imagine? Why are we, how come I have to carry this? For how long are we going to carry this guy? But the Lord had made a promise. You're going to go, when you're dead, you'll be dead, but you're going to go back to the promised land. And so here it is being fulfilled by their labor. And um, the Lord is... He is faithful. Verse 20 through 22. We see that they are led by the presence of God in a very unique way. So they took the journey from Succoth and in Etham at the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud or smoke, right? Think of smoke. To lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. What's that? You're going to leave Egypt. And this is not going to be a leisurely trip out of Egypt. You're going to be traveling day and night because they're coming after you. And so there's this, this description, verse 22. He did not take away the pillar of cloud by day or the pillar of fire by night from before them, from before the people. So they're led by the presence of God. It's this shaft of of smoke in the day because you have sunlight, so you can't see the fire. You know, But at night, that same shaft is there, but now it glows red with fire. And it was an indication that the Lord was in their midst, leading them and guiding them. Read Numbers 9, 15 through 20. You'll find out in those, uh, that passage, Numbers 9, 15 through 20, that they never moved unless the cloud moved or the fire moved. They can move at day. They can move at night. They could be there for a month. They could be there for two days. But they never moved until that moved. They understood what Jeremiah had said. It's not in man who walks to direct his own steps. So they waited for the Lord to lead them and to guide them. They that would be great. That would be great if I could just have a, that, that cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. Well, I'll do you one better. You have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 through 22. Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who also has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You have the Spirit of the living God dwelling within you. How familiar, familiar are you with him, his leading, his guiding, his directing? Oh, he never speaks to me. He speaks to you. He speaks to you. Now he doesn't speak to me. If you're a believer, he is in you and he is speaking to you. He doesn't speak to me. Have you ever been convicted of sin? Then he speaks to you. And he also comforts you. And he also will encourage you. And he'll give you a, a vision to step out in certain directions and take ventures in faith. He's leading us and guiding us. And we need to become familiar with the third person of the Godhead who dwells in us. I mean, that is just like mind-blowing material right there. You think about the tabernacle and how the Shekinah is going to come. Or when Solomon dedicated his, the temple and set the altar up and fire came down from heaven and ignited the altar with fire from heaven. I mean, these are some amazing things that take place. But it is not nearly as amazing as this, that each one of us who have confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior has the spirit of the eternal God dwelling within us. Remember in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon the church, they spoke with other tongues, and what else happened? There was a tongue of fire over them. I don't know if that relates to that fire in the Old Testament, but it certainly was the presence of God with them. We need to learn how to listen to the Holy Spirit. We need to learn how to let him lead and guide our lives. We need to know how to be comforted by him because he's at work in us. I mean, we can read in the Old Testament and these amazing, miraculous things that are taking place, but we're under the new covenant and God's spirit dwells in you. You have everything you need to live this life. But we got to draw upon the resources, don't we? You could be a millionaire, but if you never go and get money out of the bank, you could starve to death. And we are so wealthy. We've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. But if you don't draw upon what you've been given, you can starve to death spiritually. But there's no reason to. So I encourage you to walk with the Lord remember your salvation allow God to build your faith trust in the Lord look for the presence of God in your life to lead you and guide you and don't get tight-fisted with Jesus open your hand up and say Lord whatever I have is from you it is all yours let's pray father we thank you for your word and your kindness towards us we ask Lord that you would speak to our hearts right now I do want to just call you to make a decision you're a believer. You've been following Christ. There's no question about your devotion to him. But you know what? You've been living. You've been living on your own. You've been doing your own thing. You know there are specific things that God wants f- from you. And whether because it's not going the way you thought, or because somebody has made you mad, or because you're waiting for some amazing sign to show up, and, and all you have is the still, small voice of the Lord. But you're, you're not walking in it. But you know that you've got to yield to the Lord this morning. You've got to yield to him. And maybe you don't even know what it is, but you just sense the Lord saying, yes, I want you. I want all of you. And you are prepared to fulfill what you committed to when you came to Christ, is to be his servant. Then right where you are, why don't you just surrender yourself afresh and say, Lord, I am yours. I'm yours. If you've never put your faith and trust in the Lord, then you can do that right now too. You can pray and ask the Lord to forgive you To cleanse you of your sin. You got a clear idea of what it means to follow Him now. And you can live for Him. Be the best decision you've ever made in your life. I'll give you a moment to pray there.